All right, how's everyone doing today? Doing good? All right, so yeah, like Casey said, my name is Jason, so if you're new here or we haven't had a chance to meet, that's who I am. I'm the associate pastor here at Chi Alpha. Um, and so we're kind of starting out, or continuing a series, sorry, called Legacy, all about the legacy that we can leave on this campus and with our lives. And so I wanted to start out by telling you a little bit of a story about maybe one of the not as good parts of my legacy when I was in high school and kind of middle school as well. So it started when I was in the sixth grade. I joined band as my elective of choice uh, because I wanted to do some kind of music. John's happy. <laughs> I wanted to do some kind of music, but my sister was in the orchestra, and so I knew, okay, if my sister does that, I can't do that. That's not good. So I chose band, and then the instrument I ended up choosing was the saxophone because, number one, I knew it was loud, and number two, I wasn't sure which one was the trumpet and which was the trombone, and I didn't want to play the trombone. So I couldn't figure it out, so I put saxophone first. My arms were too short. Um, so I ended up choosing the saxophone, and that was kind of unique in the area I grew up because typically they would make you start out playing the clarinet and then work your way up to playing the saxophone. And yes, ego-wise saxophone players, we do believe that is up from the clarinet, just to clarify, in case you're wondering. Um, You'll, you'll see where this is going. Uh, but when I was in seventh grade, I went to a new middle school that had just opened up, and there wasn't that many people in the band, and there weren't really, and there was no saxophone players, it was just me that ended up getting pushed over there. And so I was all by myself, and the uh, clarinet players started to learn saxophone a little bit for jazz band, but that was it. And so I thought I was the best saxophone player ever because I was the only one. And my band director didn't help because she kept telling me that I was the best saxophone player she ever taught, so I thought it was hot stuff. <laughs> but the problem is I wasn't even that good. And so by the time I got to high school, I found out that there were really good saxophone players there. And that was sort of intimidating, but my sophomore year I ended up making the wind ensemble, which was the top band at my school, and everyone else was a senior, so again, I was pretty good. That's what I thought anyway. Um, but <laughs> at the end of the year, there was always this chance to be in the leadership or be uh, put as a section leader over your entire section in the marching band. And so I thought, because I'm the only one in the wind ensemble that's still here, I'm going to be the section leader, and that's the end of the story. That's it. Like, no one else is as good as me, obviously. And there's no way they got better than me throughout the course of the year, because that can't happen. Um, I started out better. I'm better now. That's what it is. Uh, so... We did that whole process. We got into the auditions and the interviews. And at the end of it, at our banquet, they announced who the section leader was. And it wasn't me. And I was devastated. I was confused because I'm the best. This doesn't make sense. But really, I just wasn't paying attention. And these other guys were actually getting better. Um, whereas I wasn't practicing, wasn't trying, wasn't. I was just kind of leaning on what I thought was talent. Um, so. When they say pride become, comes before the fall, that happened. And so it, it hit me like a ton of bricks when one of the seniors that was graduating came up to me and I asked him, I was like, how did that happen? Why am I not the section leader? And he said, you're good, but you have a lot to work on. And that kind of just stuck with me and I realized that I was wrong. I couldn't just rely on talent. I couldn't rely on God-given ability, I had to work on it, and I had to kind of foster that and steward that ability and practice to become better. 
And so I ended up doing that and practicing, kind of improving my skill, becoming more uh, efficient, more uh, just skilled on the instrument, and ended up my junior and senior years making the all-county band, which is kind of a big deal, especially in Florida, because there's way too many good people. Um, it was really hard. But so I actually, out of that, was able to improve and become better. And I realized that in order to actually be great, not just be great in my own mind, I had to practice like someone who is great. And so some of us today are like I was, and where you're kind of prideful in your abilities, you struggle to be humble, but other people in this room might be on the opposite end of the spectrum where you think that you don't have talent, you don't have ability, and there's no way that God can use you. And then there's also some of us, kind of a third party, that maybe you say, I don't struggle with pride, and oh, I'm not you know, scared of doing things, I'm not worried about that. But maybe when someone gets prideful, you judge them and you say, how could you be so prideful? I would never be like that. But that's kind of a problem in its own right. And so in the story that we've been looking at with uh, Daniel and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, over the last few weeks, what we can see is that we can all relate to this story. But I think the, the problem is way too many of us can relate more with the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was prideful and arrogant and essentially was his own God, more so than many of us can relate to Daniel, who was humble and who was a servant and who was really after the heart of God. And now it might not look the same as we've seen the amount of wealth and the amount of success that Nebuchadnezzar had. Maybe you don't have that. But still, if we're sitting in this room today, we have some form of comfort. We have some form of ability to, to relax and to, to rest our head, whereas Daniel was a, he was really a refugee. They were uh, separated from their people group and they were pushed out and in servanthood in Babylon. And so, as we continue our series on leaving a legacy, we're going to find out what God has to say about humility. If you remember last week, or maybe if you weren't here, Pastor Daniel walked us through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where King Nebuchadnezzar had ordered them to bow down before an idol. And when they didn't, he ordered that they would be burned in a furnace, but they weren't burned. God had spared them. And so at the beginning of the next chapter of this story, the king says this in verse 3, how great are his signs and wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures for generation to generation. And that's about the God of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But immediately afterwards, we find out that the king had another dream. And very often we find in scripture that God will speak to people in their dreams and have a message that he wants to get across to them. And once again, we see that when no one else could interpret this dream, Daniel has an answer. And what's shocking about this is actually that the king, even after seeing the miracles that our God can do, he goes to every single spiritual advisor, every magician, wizard, counselor, whatever else he had, he went to them first, and then when none of them knew what to do, he says, oh, Daniel always has the answers, I'll go to him. 
And so the word of God always came in last for him. And so in this dream, what Nebuchadnezzar saw was a tree that grew tall and it reached towards heaven. It was visible in the whole earth. And it was full of life. It bore a lot of fruit and it gave shelter to land and birds, land animals and birds alike. And then he sees a holy one, as he calls it, coming down from heaven. And he tells him to chop down the tree, leaving only the roots so that it might grow once again. And he also said that he would no longer have the mind of a man, but the mind of a beast, and it would last for seven time periods. And so Nebuchadnezzar, after seeing this dream and, and wondering what could this mean, he asked Daniel to interpret this. And so we'll see this in Daniel chapter 4, verses 19 through 27. And you can turn there, or it'll also be on the screen. So it reads like this. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so the top reached towards heaven. And it was visible to the end of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food and shade for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king. And this is where the king has to be getting a little bit nervous, because he says, It's you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, believe the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be that of the beasts in the field, till seven time periods pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon the Lord my king, that you shall be driven among men, from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven time periods will pass over you until you know that the Most High King rules the kingdom of men and gives to it whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you for the time that heaven rules." So Lord, I just pray tonight that my words would come from you. I pray that you would speak to every heart in this room. I pray that for those who need to be humbled, that we would be humbled. And I pray that those who need to be challenged would be challenged. And I pray that if we need to meet you tonight, then Jesus, I just pray that you would speak into our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I think it's always a good practice to keep the first things first. So tonight, the first point is simply this. Humility starts by knowing that God is God. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, was given everything imaginable. He had success, wealth, power, but he refused to humble himself to simply see who the one true God is. So he was cast out from his kingdom. And so we see pride can so often be the downfall of many historical figures, many people throughout history. And we see in the book of Proverbs 
in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse two, that when pride comes, then disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You see, in all the earthly knowledge and the wisdom that Nebuchadnezzar had, because he had built a, a huge kingdom, he lacked the most important kind of wisdom, the one that starts with the fear of God. So looking at this story about Nebuchadnezzar, we need to see that in order to fully understand who God is, we have to have him in the rightful place in our lives and submit ourselves under his will. And so there's a man in Britain in the 1700s at the height of the slave trade that was, worked on ships. And what he did was he would be on the crew of the ship, just a, a general person in the crew. But at that time period, what he did was he was on the slave ships and he would transport people across the Atlantic and he was living for most of his life by thinking that he is better than others by nature of birth, or that he's better than others because of what God had, where God had placed him in his life. And that was the downfall for Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel as well. You see, to say that we're better than someone else simply because of how we were born, because of a talent that we have, or by any kind of connections we have, is to spit in the face of the creator that gave those to us. Every single person is loved by God in an equal sense. So one day, this man was kind of shaken by God, and, and he decided to turn his life over to Jesus. And you know, at first, he didn't necessarily give up those things that he was doing, but over time, God revealed to him that what he was a part of was wrong. And eventually, it came to a point where he decided that he needed to quit, and he needed to devote his life to ministry and to right the wrongs that he had committed as a part of that slave trade. And this man's name was John Newton. And you may not have heard of him, but I can almost guarantee that every single one of you has heard these words that he penned. He said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You see, putting God in the rightful place in our life can change everything, just like it did for John Newton. When we don't see God in his proper place, we're blind to the spiritual realities, just as were Nebuchadnezzar and his magicians. They couldn't interpret that, and he couldn't understand that because God was not placed in the role of God, Nebuchadnezzar was. Daniel, on the other hand, was able to see the things of God because he saw him in his rightful place. And even when blind to spiritual realities, like Nebuchadnezzar was, Newton had his eyes opened by God, and he was able to see that what he was a part of was wrong. And now, just as the prophecy has stated at the end there, Nebuchadnezzar would eventually be restored to power. But then in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, we see that his son, Belshazzar, not Belshazzar, but Belshazzar, so one letter different, but very different in character. Um, he took over the kingdom of Babylon, and once again, they had a king that lived in pride and in his own glory. And out of nowhere, this is kind of creepy, a hand appeared and started to write on the wall in blood a message. And obviously, they were confused, probably horrified and very uncomfortable with this. And so they asked every single person that... Nebuchadnezzar had asked, you know, the magicians, the counselors, all those guys, all those guys that don't know what's going on, and 
They didn't. They had no idea. And so they call in Daniel, finally, after no one else knew what was happening. And so we'll read this in Daniel chapter 5, verses 18 through 23. And that reads like this. This is Daniel uh, responding to Belshazzar about the writing on the wall that he can't understand. He says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of this greatness that he gave him, all peoples, all nations, all languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was that of the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought before you, and you, your lords, your wives, your concubines, have drunk from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and of gold and of bronze and iron, wood, stone, which do not see, hear, or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and in whose are all your ways you have not honored. Belshazzar had the same problem that his father had. He thought he was the reason for all of his success. Not God, who, as Daniel said, rules over the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. To leave a legacy of humility, we have to understand that God is ultimately in control. Our breath is in his hands. He is worthy of being honored before our own pride. Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar each struggled to lower themselves even before God so they could be thankful for all that he had given them. And so with that said, our next point tonight is that humility is not self-degrading, but is understanding who is in control. You see, I think a problem a lot in our society today is we actually should know and acknowledge what we're good at, but the most important part is we should honor with our lives the one who gave us those talents. So have, you, have any of you ever been around a guy that maybe is a little bit too self-degrading, where you, you, you ask him, or you compliment them, you say, oh, that was awesome, you did great, and they're like, no, I suck. Or they're like, oh, no, it was all God, all God, I did nothing. And you're like, you, you realize that they've probably put a lot of effort into that, and God gave them those talents, but they're just kind of pushing themselves down, and that's not humility. Because God gave us those talents. He wants us to practice them, be good at what he has gifted us in, and it's okay to acknowledge that you're talented. And you might be surprised to hear that today, but it is okay. When we take the talents that God has given us and we maximize them, that is absolutely a form of worship. If you remember in Legacy Week 1, we talked about how Daniel did everything with excellence. And Pastor Daniel mentioned this quote, that the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. You see, we should honor God with the gifts that he has given us, 
by using them for the betterment of the world and for the betterment of his kingdom. How does that shoemaker honor God by making good shoes? Well, he's making something that people around him, his friends, his family, desperately need, which is a good pair of shoes. And so in the same way, the career path that you go into, you can use that to bring glory to God, to provide something for people, and to build the kingdom. So if you become a doctor, you can do a great job at helping people be healthy. You can study, you can practice, and you can be willing to acknowledge that that took a lot of school and a lot of effort, but at the same time, you acknowledge that God has given you your platform to bless others and to influence others to him. And also, if you're a musician, you can make great music, and you can inspire people and move people, and you don't have to pretend like you didn't spend hundreds of hours or thousands of hours in the practice room because you did, and that's okay. You just acknowledge that God gave you those gifts and that you want to steward them so that you can influence the kingdom. And in stewarding them, you actually are bringing glory and honor to God. And so the essence of this reality, I think, goes to a quote that goes, its attribution goes all the way back to St. Augustine, but it's a quote that I first heard and constantly hear uh, from Pastor Mark Batterson at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and it goes like this. It says, work as if everything depended on you and pray as if everything depended on God. When people understand that we know God gave us our gifts, but we want to work hard and do the best that we can, then they'll be drawn to that kind of Christianity. And so the passages that we've read through tonight have been a lot of what not to do. It's a lot of pride and not a lot of humility. But I want to point something out to you that you might have missed, which is the way that Daniel always responds to these prideful and arrogant kings. Even when they just attempted to burn his friends alive, he still honors them and is humble before them. And so the third point tonight is simply that humility is using where God has placed you for kingdom purposes. You see, Daniel very easily could have shown disrespect to these men because they were very disrespectful to him. And he could have easily just said, you're rude and you're going to die because both of those are true. But instead, he decided to explain the dream instance by instance and explain the background behind the writing on the wall. Even about these bad men, and even when they're in the face of death, Daniel sees an opportunity to share about God and his character and his power. And you see, we can do this right here at UNI. Whether we have a month left on campus, we have three or four years left, God can use you to influence people in incredible ways. You might think that you've been trying to tell someone about Jesus for four years, so there's no way that they'll come to know him. But guess what? Daniel had already told Nebuchadnezzar about who God is. In fact, he had already seen God spare three men from being killed in a fire, and yet he still lived in pride and thought of himself as higher than God. But even still, he gives him an opportunity to turn from his ways by saying, in verse 27, break off of your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening to your prosperity. He gives him a chance at repentance right then and there. 
And you see, in the book of Romans, Paul teaches us to simply live into the giftings that God has given us. In Romans 12, verse three, it says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We should not think ourselves to be an incredible success, even if we are, but we should be thankful for the role that God has given us in his plan. We should see others as greater than ourselves. We should serve others. We should want to lead. And in order to lead, we have to serve. In order to lead, we have to go lower and be a servant of other people. And here's the trap we can so often fall into. Sometimes we see the successes of others and we get jealous. And we try to mask this up by gossiping or by, by talking negatively of other people. We just say, I don't feel right about this. This guy has so much talent, so much respect. They always get A's. They have to be cheating. There's no other answer. And now they want to help me with my work as if I'm less? No, that's not going to happen. No, we say, no, we're not going to let that happen. But instead, we need to be humble. We need to understand that God has given people talents and giftings that we don't have. And it's okay when someone gets something good and you don't. Like if someone gets an A on the test and you fail, it's okay to go up to them and say, hey, you did great. That was awesome. And here's what it looks like to really be humble. Just look at what happens in the Psalms. David and the psalmist, they say the most raw, potentially inappropriate, and sometimes vile things, even asking people to be killed in the name of God. But you know why that's okay? It's because he's literally pouring out his heart, his feelings, his emotions, and his desires before God himself. You see, we shouldn't go over to our friends and say, hey, did you see what he did? He's the worst. He's awful. Don't don't ever associate with him. No, we should go to God in raw and honest emotion and say, God, why? It's okay to complain to God because then he's going to come back and remind us that there's a time for everything, there's a place for everything, and you're in your season for a reason. The essence of humility is really just that we are okay with where God has placed us. Even if we're in a time of waiting, the will of God does not wait. If God wants to bless someone, he will. If he wants you to be in a season of waiting, that's where God placed you, God can use it. All you have to do is let him. In the Gospels, there's a moment where the mother of two of the disciples comes up to Jesus and she asks him if her sons can sit on his left and on his right when he is the king and he's on his throne. And Jesus simply asks him this. He says, can they bear my cup? And his cup is one of pain, one of suffering on our behalf. And it is one that all the disciples would end up having to bear, all but one of them to the point of death. But then he tells them this. He tells them what a hierarchy looks like in the kingdom of God. He says, but Jesus called to them and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Leading in the kingdom is not about titles. It's not about being better. In fact, as your title gets better, you don't get served more, but you should serve more. 
Jesus, the highest authority in the kingdom, did not come to this earth to serve. He came to die. He came to lay down his life for us. We should be laying down our lives to share his love and be kingdom people. So the main point tonight, if you get nothing else from this message, this is what I want you to take home with you. And I want you to, to kind of sit on this and think about it. And that is that humility is simply to love others the way Jesus loved us. And that's easier said than done, but we can do it. If you're one of those people who struggles with pride, see how Jesus, who had every right to be prideful because he is perfect. None of us in this room can say that. He would always lower himself and he would serve. Just because someone's not as smart or as talented or as wealthy as you are does not mean that they are less than you. We need to always be more humble or we will stop serving or we'll never even start. No matter who we are, we can never humble ourselves as much as Jesus did. You see, he humbled himself in a physical form. He went from fully God to being fully God and fully man. The book of Hebrews even goes so far as to say he made himself lower than the angels for a time. So every day we should be look to be more humble than the day before and more of a servant than the day before. When we're followers of God, we should always be full of wonder. That's not just reserved for a sermon series beginning out January, okay? That's for every single day of our life. It's to be in awe and wonder and to learn more about God every single day. And if you think you're done learning about God, then that's when you need to start again. Because none of us will be able to know God in fullness on this side of eternity. And then on the other hand, if you struggle with a sense of a lack of self-worth, know that to Jesus, everyone's on a level playing field. In fact, if you have no qualifications to serve in the kingdom, just look at who Jesus chose to be his disciples. He chose those who seemed unqualified, and in fact, they were. He chose those who were simple and humble and just would be taught to spread his kingdom. And that way Jesus reaches ordinary people with ordinary people to reach people for an extraordinary God. This is the way of Jesus. So I wanna encourage you tonight that no matter where you are, Jesus died for you. And our God loves you more than you could ever know. And out of that, we should love the unlovable, we should serve the unservable, and we should lead by putting others above ourselves. Our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God who cre created humanity to extend his kingdom from within himself as a communal three-in-one God, but we sinned. Our God is a God who made a covenant with Abraham to make him into a great nation because of the faith that he would come through. Our God is a God who, when the descendants of Abraham continued to sin against him, he came out of that perfect relationship he had in heaven to become a man, Jesus, and to live a perfect life we couldn't live and die a death we, we should have died. Our God has given every single person in this room second, third, fourth, and so many more chances, and yet he still calls us sons and daughters.